0: Hi, I'm your host, Kimberly Thomas-Tigg, and you're listening to Signalize, a Dazzle for Rare podcast. Whether you're a patient, advocate, caregiver, or clinician, Signalize is your source for good news, personal stories, events, and the things that rare and associated communities care about. Follow Signalize and Dazzle for Rare at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number 4, R-A-R-E, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll post episode links, updates, and more. Grab your goggles because we're diving into some awareness dates for November of 2022. November is a pretty busy month for awareness with seven conditions being spotlighted in November. November is Fox G1 Awareness Month. FOXG1 syndrome is characterized by structural abnormalities of the brain, a small head, and neurological symptoms. As part of the neurological symptoms, these can include seizures, uncontrolled movements, speech difficulties, and a lack of speech. Autism has also been associated with this condition. November is also National Complex Regional Pain Syndrome, or CRPS Awareness Month. I believe this is for the US, but this may also apply to other countries crps or complex regional Pain syndrome is a condition that is known for causing excessive and prolonged pain the condition can cause inflammation in a variety of locations in the body and can be anywhere from mild to severe parts of the body can become swollen inflamed red and cause a burning sensation crps can be short-term and acute or chronic, lasting longer than six months. Tying to this first Monday of November, we have Color the World Orange Day, and that is associated with CRPS. So you can show your support for the community by wearing the color orange on the first Monday of November. Also in the month of November, we have International Lennox Gesto Syndrome, which happens on the 1st of November. We have Familio Chylomicronemia Syndrome or FCS and that awareness day is on November the 6th. We have International 15Q Day on November the 15th. We have Smith-Maginus Syndrome on the 17th of November and finally we have 22Q Awareness Day on the 22nd of November. Before we jump into talking about the condition today, I just need to make a quick disclaimer. I am not a medical professional. Nothing that I discuss during this episode should be taken as definitive or comprehensive information about any condition. I nor any of the resources that I share in this podcast or in the show notes or any of the conditions that we discuss can be taken as diagnostic information or should give you a sense of making your own diagnosis. The purpose of this discussion is to open a dialogue to educate and to create awareness. If you feel that you or a family member may be affected by the condition, you're strongly urged to seek the appropriate medical care and advice. The National Organization for Rare Diseases, also known as NORD, is a great resource for more information. Many of their condition pages can also connect you directly with support resources like support groups and websites. In a recent episode with Lee of NCBRS Foundation, we briefly touched on a term called morphology. It's interesting because I don't think we talk about that aspect. You mentioned morphology or the clinical diagnosis based on Mm -hmm. physical features and we still see that happening in a lot of countries where access to genetic testing is just not available. In November 2007 he was actually sent up to GOSH for five days for intensive testing and it it, it was just by chance that two geneticists who were were working in GOSH, so one is from Portugal and one is from the Netherlands, they just happened to come across my son And we're like, wow, he fits the description of this very rare syndrome. They told us Callum had NCBRS, um, but he was only diagnosed by clinical features at this point because they still hadn't found the cause of the syndrome and the gene affected. So it was literally just done on facial features and symptoms and things like that. The origin of this term is generally in biology. It refers to the study of the shape of something. So in biology, this can refer to the shape of cells, or it can refer to the shapes seen on imaging or scans, such as scanning fetal growth and the shape of the fetus. In the context that Lee and I were discussing uh, when we were talking about NCBRS, morphology, or the physical examination of features in this case, led to the two visiting consultants at Great Ormond Street Hospital who made the diagnosis of NCBRS for Lee's son Callum. This type of examination has helped medical professionals identify rare conditions for decades. Prior to the discovery of gene variants that we now associate with rare conditions, many conditions were diagnosed based on their clinical presentation, or the physical or visible signs and symptoms of a condition. In some genetic conditions, this could be specific facial features, such as a broad nasal bridge, an arched palate, wide-set eyes, or other features. This could also include things like the size or the length of body parts, such as arms that are longer than average, a head size that may be smaller than average, and so on. Marfan syndrome, uh, which we also touched on in a recent episode, is an example of how morphology in rare disease can help to make a diagnosis. Folks with Marfan syndrome typically have longer-than-average arms, a long body, Uh, They can appear very tall and thin, or actually be very tall and thin. This is quite common, so it's quite a striking and obvious physical presentation. Since the human genome was sequenced in 1998 during the Clinton administration, fun fact, even since then, having made as many advancements as we have, we still need to use the practice of morphology or at looking at the bodies of people and identifying certain features. So this very much still has its place in modern medicine. We might touch on in future episodes, advanced diagnostic testing methods like whole genome sequencing, but I'm just gonna gloss over it very quickly here. So I had attended a really fascinating webinar uh, from Rare Disease Ghana Initiative based in South Africa in 2020. And one of the presentations during this two-hour event that they were streaming, one of the clinicians gave a whole speech on morphology or a whole presentation on morphology. So clinically speaking, he was talking about using the presentation of infants for screening for rare conditions. So they were able to look at the newborns or small children and kind of determine from the telltale signs what their condition might be. One thing that he mentioned during his presentation was that whole genome sequencing, also known as WGS, isn't accessible to everyone. In fact, whole genome sequencing is more accessible today than it was 10 and obviously 20 years ago. It wasn't even accessible to people really. In some area of the world currently today in 2022, whole genome sequencing is still really difficult to access. A local hospital or a lab, if they don't offer sequencing oftentimes the patient won't be able to access the testing. And even if the patient is able to get a referral for sequencing in a laboratory, so for example, in the United States, um, you know, there are laboratories that do whole genome sequencing or do advanced testing. However, these require a referral by your physician in the United States, and the insurance costs could potentially be a, a pretty significant amount of money if these tests end up being covered by insurance. In the UK, where I live, NHS England was the first health service in the world to roll out accessible whole genome sequencing for children. The service was also made available to some adults. However, with that, even that is not perfect. It's appreciated, certainly, but even that is still difficult to access. Uh, That's perhaps a story for another time. This is where I deftly avoid falling down a rabbit hole discussion about whole genome sequencing and access to this and direct consumer testing, (laughs) that's possibly for another time and a future episode. So really what the reality is, is that with rare conditions, sequencing is not always available to the family or to the patient. I see this a lot where a family has a child that has a presentation that, you know, is clear that there is some sort of an underlying genetic cause, but it's a mystery. And unfortunately, A mix of, unfortunately, clinical burnout for many of our clinicians and folks in our hospitals, lack of of available tools, maybe not so much training on what to look for or what tests are available or what they can refer for. Many clinicians have just kind of thrown their hands up in consternation and said, you know, this is sorry, this is all I can do. And it's a frustrating situation, not only for the patient, but also for the clinician traditional blood tests may not be available. And if they are available, wherever the person may be, they may be inconclusive. They aren't necessarily the best diagnostic tool that we have in our modern tool belt. If sequencing or blood tests aren't available, what can patients do? This brings us back to the topic of morphology because morphology can certainly have its place in a world where we have More access, but not complete access. Morphology can be really useful in cases where there are, again, clearly defined facial features that are associated with certain conditions. And this can be accessible in any area of the world with the right training and the right methods of identification. So not just rural areas, but also in countries that are economically advanced and economically rich, like the United States and the UK, where we have at our disposal advanced diagnostic methods. However, the other sad reality is that even with these tools, with advanced diagnostics, with laboratories, and with morphology, many people still go undiagnosed for a period of years. My personal observation on the last statement is that as a lay person and as a patient myself, uh, the issue that I often see is a lack of awareness. And so this is where awareness and what we do with Dazzle for Rare and what our network of associated rare and more common condition groups come together in that with the more awareness we have of the presentation of these conditions, what the symptoms of these conditions are, the hope is always that that will filter out not only to the general public but also filter out to clinicians who may not have had maybe more recent training on the morphology of certain conditions or who are interested in the topic and would really like to do more discovery in terms of what are the physical features of Morfan syndrome? What are the physical features of NCBRS? What are the physical features of other conditions? Because these tools are much more readily and historically accessible to people all over the world, of all backgrounds, and with a variety of economic circumstances. So making this information more accessible helps to make diagnosis more accessible. Because again, in many countries, diagnosis can take over 30 specialties or 30 specific clinicians, it may not be 30 specialties, but many different people may be involved in the diagnostic process, doctors, nurses, consultants, specialists. And then that time period can take anywhere from seven years in the United States and four years in the UK. Personally, for me, I was born with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but it took 38 years to reach a diagnosis. And unfortunately, I speak to many adults all the time who tell me similar stories where they were diagnosed with their conditions in their 30s and 40s. And to be fair, some conditions are late onset in which, you know, the first symptoms may not occur until after 40 years old. But in conditions like uh, Ehlers-Danlos, in in any of the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes, these are things that people are born with. So really learning to identify the variety of morphological characteristics. I hope that's a real word, morphological, morphological characteristics, clinical, other clinical features, other diagnostic markers that may appear on tests. And by by being able to take a, a holistic look at the patient from every angle, and having that greater awareness and talking about these conditions more, we help to overcome some of those barriers that might be cost related, they might be location related. Raising awareness isn't just about fundraising, raising awareness is very much about helping each person have a greater understanding of what rare conditions are and what they might look like and what they might mean and having greater compassion and understanding for people that we see walking down the street. And for understanding that that person might be currently on a diagnostic journey looking for that clinician who has come across the right information to help lead someone to the right diagnosis. So to briefly tie up our conversation here on morphology today, and of course, we can definitely go into more about this topic if anyone's interested. But Morphology, definitely, even though it is a quite a, an old practice and something that doctors have been doing for decades, if not longer, it definitely has its place in modern medicine and its place in awareness. If not for this examination of the human body and really understanding how genetic conditions physically manifest in patients, then Lee's son would possibly still be undiagnosed So we can definitely owe a debt of gratitude to the folks who do study the physical presentation of rare disease, Um, the people who teach these presentations, the people who give the seminars, webinars, and various other media that help other clinicians identify conditions. I did not mean to rhyme there, by the way, <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's something that we don't really talk about uh, to a great extent in rare disease, but it's something that I find myself, since I was on that webinar last year, I find myself thinking about it a lot, and I find myself thinking that this is a topic that maybe a lot of patients haven't given much thought to, or a lot of patients don't really look for in the patients and communities and the folks around them, but actually recognizing that these manifestations in someone's facial features or their body hair, their height, the length of their extremities, you know, if they have long fingers, etc. Things that maybe as kids we thought were strange or unusual or people may have you know found funny in one way or another we can now look at people with this knowledge and say well actually there's a genetic cause for that and that wasn't anything that anyone asked for and we should really show a lot more kindness and compassion to folks. Did you know that the Dazzle for our network maintains a Google rare disease events calendar as well as an awareness events calendar? We do. If you have an awareness day week or month that you'd like to add, reach out to me at Kimberly at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, R-A-R-E dot net with your details. I'm happy to share the details of how to subscribe to either of the calendars or both of the calendars and also enable you to add awareness events for your own community. This is a community maintained calendar while I add the majority of the events, we do have participation from other folks in our wider rare disease and associated communities network. So I highly encourage folks to subscribe to the calendars, to add your own events so that you can keep others informed and involved with what your community is doing. If you have a fundraiser coming up, if you have an awareness week, if you are doing a a live Zoom chat, or something on social media, you can put that on the calendar to let other people know, and I'm happy to share anything that I come across with our listeners here. We also have a Dazzle Ferrer Facebook planning group, which includes folks from Ataxia and Me Whales, Zebra Flutters and Strutters, HISA, and other rare disease and associated condition organizations. You can find our Facebook group by searching hashtag D-A-Z-Z-L-E for... R-A-R-E, in the Groups tab in Facebook. Did you know that our Dazzle Ferrer friend, David Ross, leads a monthly virtual men's rare disease mental health group? I bet you didn't but if you did kudos to you friend david is a great guy and has been involved in dazzle for now for at least three years that i can recall maybe longer (laughs) as i'm getting older i am losing (laughs) track of, of where i am and what's going on and what year it is but he's a great guy and he runs a virtual men's uh rare disease mental health group each month Uh, the next meeting is scheduled for Sunday, the 27th of November. So when you hear this, that'll give you plenty of time to go find David on LinkedIn or other social media. I'll make sure to drop some information on how to contact him in the show notes. But if you happen to be on LinkedIn at the moment, you can search for David Simon Ross and you should find him. I believe in his profile picture, he's wearing a zebra tie. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and, and chat with him and find out how to join the next Men's Mental Health Rare Disease group, which again is on the 27th of November thanks for listening to this week's episode of signalize a dazzle for rare podcast to stay up to date on the podcast and dazzle for rare, follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at d-a-z-z-l-e the number four rare r-a-r-e and finally if you liked this episode share it with a friend and tag us on social media platforms